Thank you for tuning in to the sermon webcast of Living Savior. We are one church serving in two locations, Asheville and Hendersonville, North Carolina. For more information, go to lsavior.org. When I'm in this place, I believe in Jesus. When the message of his love and grace are ringing in my ears, when I'm surrounded by others that confess with me the truth of this salvation that he grants, when right before my eyes is a reminder of my baptism, when I can come forward and and receive him in bread and wine, his body and blood given for me, when I'm in this place, I believe in him. Absolutely, I do. But when I'm out there, when I'm out there, too often, it's all about what I need to do, what I need to solve, what I haven't been able to figure it out yet, but if I work at it a little bit harder and think a little bit smarter, then I'm going to get it, then I'm going to reach the goal, then I'll accomplish what I need to do. When I'm out there, way too often, I believe in me. Dear sister, dear brother, I'm, I'm, I'm not proud to, to admit that to you. I'm not pleased to have to say that to you. Nor am I pleased or proud that there are probably a number of people that would make the same admission along with me. The same admission to a sort of a foolishness spiritually, a futility, a, a misplaced faith. Yet you and I have been invited to a wedding banquet kind of holding in our hands and engraved by the Holy Spirit invitation to, to go to where Christ, for the very first time, widens our faith. He widens our faith in him. You and I come to recognize, in fact, that what's true here, of course, it's got to be true out there. And it will be true out there as I spend time with him at this wedding and he widens my faith in his power and in his love for any and every circumstance. The wedding took place just a few days after Jesus was baptized at the Jordan River when he had just a few disciples. John, who wrote this account, And his brother James, they were following him. Andrew and his brother Simon, Peter. Philip and his friend Nathaniel. They had known him for just a few days. And yet, pretty much from the start, they put their faith in him. We've found the Messiah. That's what they were saying to one another. He's the Son of God. He's the king of Israel, the the one with a capital K. Mission accomplished. Disciples fully trained. Apparently not. Because what they still needed to realize is that he was Messiah, son of God, king, not only when they were with him face to face, but whatever they would deal with, whatever they would confront. So the Lord has them at that wedding and chooses that occasion to 
widen their faith in him. Probably a wedding where Jesus knew the couple. Took place at Cana, just down the road from Nazareth, where he grew up. Probably knew the people that were there, Jesus did. Relatives, perhaps, family members, longtime acquaintances. A rural community, you can kind of get this, gathered for a happy celebration of a marriage, and the celebration was going to go on for, for several days. Jesus' mother was there, Mary was there, and she's apparently a perceptive individual, a compassionate individual. She notices and says aloud when, when they run out of wine at the wedding, she, she does one of these things, you know, she kind of, she kind of nudges her son, you know, kind of wanting him to do what she realized only he's capable of, of doing. He responds respectfully. It doesn't sound like that in the English translation, but it was a respectful response, and he tells her that his hour has not yet come. But then, a short time afterwards, apparently each home in those days, especially a Jewish home, would have several containers for water on hand. You know, no, no water piped into the house, no, no water running through pipes in, 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 in the walls of the home. They'd have water in jars, water for, you know, when you have a wedding and people come into your home, they, they, their feet get washed, but also water for ceremonies. Jewish people in the first century, they would, they would wash their hands in a certain way. It was a ritual, a purification ritual. And they would wash their, their cups, their pitchers, their dining kettles. That too was a, it was a ritual that they would perform. Apparently it was a big wedding because there was lots of water there. Six stone jars, St. John writes rather carefully, each of them holding what we would say would be about 20 gallons, perhaps a little bit more, jars up to, up to here perhaps. When his hour has come, Jesus says to the servants, those six jars, fill them up to the very top. Water goes in to the very top. Wine comes out. As I imagine, a cup of it is handed to the, to the head waiter, and he's, he's holding the cup, and he's, he's looking at its color, and he's swirling the cup, and he's inhaling the aroma, and then he tastes it, and he deems it to be such excellent wine. He kind of interrupts the, interrupts the celebration and calls the, the, the bridegroom over, and he compliments him for the excellent wine. Look at all this, and it's outstanding. You ever, ever wonder what the bridegroom said? He didn't know where all this excellent wine came from. He certainly didn't know what it had been just a short time earlier, but the servants did, and Mary did, and Jesus' disciples knew. St. John writes this, the first of Jesus' miraculous signs he performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. You see what Jesus does for us with a miracle like that? 
You and I recognize from all over the scripture that Jesus is capable of the, of the big things in our life. He has, the powerful, he has the power and he's mindful to deal with the big things in our lives. You know that. Disease that can threaten your body and your way of life. He's capable of healing that. Or in his will, often just as good or better, he's capable of giving you the, the strength and the humility to, to cope with it. Loss of someone that you love. He's capable of making his word for you a, a mighty fortress. Where when the, when the waves of grief come attacking, you can find safety and salvation. Capable of the big things like what you and I said aloud based on scripture at the beginning of the worship service. The evil that I have done and the good that I have failed to do. We can confess that before a holy God, knowing that God rightly should cast us away from his presence forever. And yet, Christ is capable of putting his servant before you to rightly say, All your sins are forgiven on the basis of his blood shed for you, on the basis of his righteousness declared and given to you, all sins forgiven. Christ is capable of that very big thing. But a family runs out of wine, out of wine at their wedding? That's, that's not life-threatening. That's not a catastrophe. I don't even know if that's life-altering. And yet, He's mindful and capable of handling even that. So are you sometimes worried that you'll run out? Run out of the money that you need for the house payments and the, the monthly rent? That you'll run out of what you need for the medical bills or to, to keep the, the credit card balance in check? Jesus turned water into wine. He can certainly handle that. Put your faith in him. And in his words, do not worry. Are you afraid now and then that someone you dearly love is drifting away? That you're, you're losing that friendship, losing that relationship that you treasure? Jesus turned water into wine. He's certainly capable of changing that. Put your faith in him and, 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 and do not be afraid. Are you concerned that the, the tasks that you have to handle become too many? You get up in the morning and you wonder, how in the world am I going to get this all done? Jesus turned water into wine. He's certainly capable of equipping you for whatever task you're actually able to do and those that you can't do. You, re you recognize your own limitations, in other words, but he has no such limitations. He turned water into wine. He has no limitations. That's extraordinary. That's 
glorious. This, the first of Jesus' miracles he did at Cana. So what other miracles did he do after that? At this very moment, I want you to, I don't know, lean to your left, lean to your right. Maybe turn around or lean forward and tell someone who's seated near you a miracle of Jesus that comes to your mind. I know it's a sermon and usually the pastor gets to do all the talking, but we're going to make an exception here. Just talk to one another and, and begin, maybe you begin the conversation this way. The miracle of Jesus that I'm thinking of is when he... Go, go ahead, I'll, I'll rein you in, in in a moment. So talk to one another. Jesus' miracles. I enjoy listening into that, because I did. I enjoyed the laughter as you partly remember or mostly remember. Here's one, of the, one that I overheard. There were these two sisters, Mary and Martha, and Jesus loved them so much that when their brother Lazarus had died and was in the grave for four days, Jesus raised him. He called him out of the grave. And here's another one I heard just a couple words from. There was this huge crowd of people, 5,000 men plus women and children, and Jesus loved them so much that rather than send them to nearby villages and towns to buy something to eat, with five loaves of bread and two little fish, he fed all of them this, this, this full meal. I think I might have heard this one, that a group of men came with a friend of theirs who was paralyzed, and they opened the roof, opened the ceiling, and they lowered him on ropes in front of Jesus on his mat. And Jesus loved him and his friends so much that he told him to pick up his mat and, and go home. And he got up and he walked home. John, in his account, we're, re we're reading chapter 2, he, he gives the details of several miracles of Jesus. And then at the end of his account, he gives the number one reason why Jesus did all those miracles. It's John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Here's what he writes. Jesus did many other miraculous signs, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Life. Real life eternal life through believing in Jesus. That's how wide his power and his love are. 
I think that's why it, it's, it's been proposed that when, when you read this account as the Gospel of the Day, John chapter 2, you also should read a passage from Ephesians. I'd like you to turn to it. We'll go back to it one more time. It's such an excellent passage. It's page 8 in the service folder. Page 8. Paul's letter to the Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. I want to read the whole thing one more time. Paul writes, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The power of Jesus Christ is not just in this place where he's proclaiming to us his word, the power of Jesus Christ is wherever he's operating and wherever you are. And the love of Christ is not just where we're being reminded of our baptism, where we're receiving his body and blood for the forgiveness of sins. His love is in you wherever you go, whatever you do, however you serve people in his name. His love is where you work. His love is where you play. His love is where you relax. His love is where you eat. It's where you sleep. His love is in you that you might honor him by expressing to others what he's, he's done for you. And then, speaking of widening his, his glory, widening our faith, his love is way beyond you and me. It's wherever the gospel is being proclaimed. Wherever people are hearing about his cross and his empty tomb, wherever he's operating by his spirit to bring people to faith in him and to confess his holy name. Apostle Paul in this passage, the, the reason I read it again is the combination of the power and the love, which is the glory of Christ, not only here, but where you are. That's glorious. That's extraordinary. And it's going to make him evident until we, until we sit down with all those people we've never in this life met at the heavenly wedding banquet. Speaking of wedding celebrations, something's become evident here. What's evident here is when you and I are in this place, yes, we believe in Jesus. We confess his name boldly and loudly in our songs and in our words. But we also recognize that when we are out there, 
there too will be mindful of what he's been mindful to do and will confess the glory of his name. Whatever we do, wherever we are, wherever his people are, his glory, what makes him extraordinary, widens our faith in his love and in his power. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our sermon webcast. I'm Pastor Caleb Kurbis. To discuss today's sermon or to discover more about our ministry, visit our website at lsavior.org. Thank you again for joining us, and may God bless your day.